This week I viewed a video of a joke that a dad had uh, played on his two daughters for April, uh, an April Fool's joke. He sent them into an auto parts store and he had them ask for blinker fluid. Now, of course, they, they came out pretty embarrassed and they were laughing at this prank um, put on them by their fun-loving father. Now, being ignorant about blinker fluid doesn't have that great of a life-altering consequence, right? But if you crank up the importance, then the stakes get a lot higher. One could be mistaken on a test and maybe lose out on a grade. One could maybe pass up on a job and lose out on an opportunity. One could maybe take for granted a mate and maybe lose out on some happiness. However, if one is wrong about the resurrection, then our soul hangs in the balance. And of an entire direction of a life is impacted. The resurrection. Now, critics are aplenty, are they not? And certainly, opinions vary. Uh, Many people throw their hands up and they just assume that because there are varying opinions, you know, because there are different interpretations, that must mean that no real truth exists on the matter. And even if it did, there is no way that you could find that truth out. I mean, there's no way that you could know, you know, like for sure. But when it comes to the resurrection, can we not understand this one thing that there might be people who just aren't willing to look at the bare facts. That our predisposition may influence how we interpret facts. Isn't that true? I mean, if I reject the supernatural, I'm obviously going to discount all the evidence for a resurrection. Well, one might be tempted to think, since humans are so flawed and we have all these biases and and, and prejudices, then we can't recognize truth if it hit us in the face. Well, I'm not so much of a cynic like that when it comes to truth. I mean, for instance, we know who the president is. We know who won the World Series last year. We know that Lincoln was shot in the Ford Theater. We know about gravity. Truth is not always mysterious in some things. I mean, facts are pesky things, are they not? Especially to those of us who might deny them or want to dismiss them. I mean, being a Cards fan, the truth of the Cubs winning the World Series last year, it's not to my liking, but I would be a fool to dismiss it. And if there's any applause, you will be exiting the building (laughs) now. I see you, Bill Foreman. (laughs) There was a man who hated Christians. In fact, he killed them every chance he had. But he later became convinced of the resurrected Christ, and he became a believer. His name was Paul, and he had this to say. 
He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. I would agree with him. If Christ has not been raised, I am a charlatan. And I've been one for 30-some years talking about the resurrection. I'm a fool. And so are every one of you who count yourselves as followers of Jesus. If he's not been raised, our faith is useless. But that's why I talk today in such plain terms to you about the resurrection. You see, the uniqueness of the resurrection is that it is, like any other historic event, related to objective realities and therefore different from most other religious claims. I mean, we can have greater trust in historical claims if they are, for instance, supported by multiple independent sources. They are attested to by even those who are hostile to the claim or or enemies to Christianity. They are supported by eyewitness testimony and the claim possesses early authentication so that legend does not have time to take place or mythology. And every one of these criteria are met when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How else do you explain these facts? Number one, that Jesus was crucified and died. Perhaps no other fact surrounding the life of the historical Jesus is better attested to than his death by crucifixion. The crucifixion is included in every gospel narrative but it's also confirmed by some non-Christian sources. The Jewish historian Josephus, the Roman historian Tacitus, and the Greek satirist Lucian, as well as the Jewish Talmud, confirm these facts, that this man called Jesus died on a cross. John Crozan, a scholar critical of Christianity, said this, That he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can be. There's really no question that he died on a cross. In fact, the Journal of the American Medical Association concluded interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Fact one, Jesus was crucified and he died. Fact two, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. You see, the disciples did not immediately go off into Athens or to Rome to preach that Jesus had raised from the dead. They went right to the city where it occurred. You see, if their their teaching was untrue, if their claim about a resurrected Christ was untrue, then it would be readily evident to everybody. I mean, the empty tomb was too notorious to be denied. One scholar said the resurrection could have not 
been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. In fact, all through the book of Acts, Jewish authorities were telling the disciples, shut up already about this resurrected Jesus. Keep your mouth shut. We don't want you saying these things. Why? Because a bunch of people were converting from Judaism to Christianity. And so they said, stop it already. But all the opponents, all that they had to do was to show the body of Jesus. Show that the tomb was still occupied. Show the whereabouts of his body. But they couldn't do it. Historians who don't accept a resurrection... They're forced to offer up some alternative explanations. See, the tomb was empty, but maybe Jesus swooned. It's called the swoon theory. This theory said that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but he was taken down and placed alive in the tomb where he was revived, and then he escaped and moved a two-ton boulder by himself. And then he had to convince all the disciples that he died and rose again. Well, first of all, it would be virtually medically impossible for Jesus to have survived the rigors of scourging by a whip with pieces of metal at the end of each tong tearing into the flesh. And once it got beyond the flesh, then it starts tearing out muscle. To have a crown of thorns upon the scalp. To carry a crossbar that probably weighed at least 100 pounds. Then to hang on a cross with your feet and your hands nailed to the cross. And then to fight suffocation because you had to pull yourself up for every breath. And that's how most people died, was by asphyxiation. Upon the cross, besides bleeding to death. The Journal, again, of the American Medical Association in 1986 published an article confirming the likely death of Jesus. I mean, the swoon theory begs the question how a half dead Jesus, desperately in need of medical attention, could have moved that heavy stone and then elicited the disciples to worship him as the exalted Savior and Lord. And moreover, since Jesus, on this hypothesis, knew he did not actually triumph over death, then the theory reduces him to basically living as a charlatan. But that's not consistent with the Jesus that we know. You're going to go around lying about what actually happened? I mean, there's nothing in any record of Jesus that shows that he was that kind of a person. Plus, Roman soldiers were experts at execution. And everything we know about the torture and crucifixion of Jesus confirms that they accomplished their deed. He died. And it makes the swoon theory highly improbable. Another theory is that the disciples stole the body. You know, the one being guarded by the Roman soldiers that had a Roman seal. I mean, at the time of the crucifixion, the disciples were confused. They were, they were disorganized. They were fearful. They were doubting. They were burdened with mourning. Certainly not mentally 
motivated or equipped to engineer such a wild hoax. And the Roman seal on the tomb, guarded by the soldiers, they would lose their life if somebody got beyond that. And they were derelict in their duty. So to think that this fearful band of what was now 11 disciples had suddenly turned into, you know, special ops Navy SEALs seems rather far-fetched to overcome the Roman soldiers. Besides, why would the disciples want to perpetuate such a story that they stole the body? That doesn't even make sense. Why would you be perpetuating a story that you did a crime? Implicating yourself, breaking the Roman seal. Here's the third fact. The appearances of Jesus were confirmed. The appearances of Jesus were confirmed. Listen, when studying an event in history, it's important to know whether enough people who were participants or eyewitnesses to the event were alive when the facts about the event were published. I mean, this is helpful in ascertaining the accuracy of the published report. If the number of eyewitnesses is substantial, the event could be regarded as well-established. For instance, let's say that all of us here witnessed a murder up on this stage. Uh, if, if the person denied that he did it, we could all refute that because there are hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now imagine the impact of several hundred eyewitnesses to the resurrection. One of the earliest records of Christ's appearing after the resurrection is by Paul. The apostle Paul appealed to his audience's knowledge of the fact that Christ had been seen at one time in one event by over 500 people. And Paul reminded them that the majority of those people who were still alive, they could still be questioned. So here you had a claim where all you had to do is ask the eyewitnesses. They're still alive. You can talk to them. I mean, it's, it's as if you're saying, hey, if you don't believe me, go and talk to these other people who saw them. So such a statement written within about 30 years of the event, that's pretty strong evidence. People were immediately speaking of the resurrected Christ, ruling out the possibility that this was some myth, that this was some legendary development. That's not a plausible explanation, as some people try to posit, that this is just myth or legend. I mean, when the disciples were preaching about the resurrection in Jerusalem, why didn't the Jews just say, hey, wait, 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 uh, we have the body. He didn't rise from the grave. Why didn't they just recover the corpse, put it on a cart, march it through Jerusalem, and disprove everything that the disciples were saying? But they could not. That would have destroyed Christianity. But they couldn't. Why? Because there's a guy walking around with nails in his hands and feet. Who's Jesus? I mean, how do you explain that? Consider then how the disciples were so radically changed after the resurrection. So convinced were these previously cowardly men that they became 
transformed, committed followers willing to suffer and die for Jesus. I mean, liars make poor martyrs, okay? Gerd Ludmann, a German scholar critical of Christianity, said, it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. There are at least 11 sources testifying to the willingness of the apostles to suffer and die for their belief in the resurrection. History also tells us that Jesus' brother James, he was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin. That was the kind of the Jewish Supreme Court. Paul, history uh, tells us, was beheaded under Nero in Rome. Listen, people will die for what they believe to be true, such as the terrorists who, who ran those planes into the building during 9-11. But no one willingly suffers for what they know to be false. These early Christians were completely convinced of the resurrection. If that were not so, they had everything to lose and nothing to gain. By preaching the resurrection, they further antagonize the Jewish authorities. And you know how were they, they were rewarded? They were beaten, some of them stoned to death, thrown to the lions, tortured and crucified. Every conceivable method was taken to shut them up. Yet they laid down their lives as proof of their complete confidence in the truth of that message. Does that sound to you like a conspiracy? Like following a Messiah they didn't really believe in? No. So what if the disciples believed Christ was resurrected, but they were fooling themselves? What if it was a hallucination? That's another theory that's posited. Well, hallucinations are usually associated with mind-altering stimuli, such as mental illness or drugs. But neither of these apply to the disciples. Now, hallucinations also occur when the person earnestly desires something. But the disciples did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. None of them believed it. They had no anticipation of seeing him alive. Also, what are the chances that several hundred people are having the exact same hallucination? Okay? Becoming believers. I mean, these are, these are eyewitnesses who were, who were unbelievers, who were skeptics before they saw Jesus. My dear friends, allow me to read the following passages that address our topic. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
Romans 6, 9 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then to all of you who have maybe before this date have doubted who Jesus is, listen to Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved from your sins. You will have eternal life in Jesus. And that's what I offer today to you. Let's pray.